Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Adweeks. Yeah, that's probably an ad where we discuss pop culture, commercials, product placements that are strategically placed in our favorite movies and shows because at the end of the day, everything is an ad. Uh, Thank you everybody for joining. Hello to my co-host. She is back. Shannon Miller, how are you? I survived the storm. I'm here. I am living. I'm thriving. (laughs) So good to see you. And we are so excited to have you back, Shannon. We've got a great show lined up for today. Uh, We are welcoming Erin Schmidt, Chief Product Placement Officer at Ben. Erin, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Sure. Yeah. And and we're excited about today's topic. But before we dive in, do you want to, I think it'll help our listeners to explain what Ben does, why you're here today. So do you want to kind of give us an overview? Yeah, absolutely. So I work for Ben and Ben is the leading AI company for the creator economy. And when we look at that, what Ben really does is it takes the data that we've been working with for over 40 years and identifies opportunities for product placement and influencer marketing and music video um, that best benefits both the brand and the creator. I happen to be in charge of our product placement division. So working with the creator community across streaming, film, television, and music video. Amazing. Amazing. Um, where where would we have seen some of your work? You have a very big, important job. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I hopefully um, pretty much everywhere you can see an actual brand where where it would make sense and authentic to the storyline, you've likely seen something that Ben does. Um, We work with General Motors, we work with Microsoft, we work with Spirits Brands, we work with Frito-Lay. So you kind of have all of these authentic moments. Um, So really pretty much hopefully anywhere you're watching content, you're seeing something that we've done. Very nice. I am really fascinated with the idea of product placement because the attitudes toward product placement, I think, have really evolved in the past even 10 years or so. I mean, I 
remember kind of like growing up and obviously not recognizing product placement. If you, if it's good, you don't recognize it. Um, and now it's become really in vogue and really in fashion to really call out product placement um, within the copy or within the context of whatever you're watching. Now it's like okay for it to be more obvious because everyone kind of knows why it's here. So can you talk a little bit more about that shift? What do you feel has really uh, triggered that shift in attitude? Yeah. So we've been in business for 40 years. Actually, my mom started doing product placement in 1984. So I've kind of seen it firsthand, what you're saying, you know, from the beginning. And I knew it was happening because my mom was doing it. But to be where we are now, I think the big shift that has happened is that content is more and more expensive to get created. And so creatives are really looking for ways to enhance their budgets, increase their budgets, grow their budgets. And so they've become more open to it, um, open to the opportunity of integrating brands and really talking through how it makes like sense to their story, how it authentically weaves into their story. And I think as we've seen the rise of influencer marketing as well, we as viewers are also more comfortable with the idea of talking about brands being in content if we also understand that that creative is only being made because those brand dollars are helping to support it. So I think viewers have changed their mindset around it because they realize that brands can actually help empower content to be made. We've greenlit just from our brand dollars that we brought to the table. We've had three stories greenlit in the last year um, that wouldn't have gone to camera without the brand support. So I think you're seeing that evolution in addition to creators actually really embracing the idea of product placement as well. So I think the most, when we say product placement, the most uh, prominent example that comes to mind in recent memory is Stranger Things uh, partnership with Coca-Cola. And we know that this has to be a a seamless partnership. Um, What are your your own personal thoughts on why that was made so successful. Yeah. So interestingly enough, uh, season one of Stranger Things um, didn't have any brand support. And so the Coca-Cola was actually authentically done in there. The producers used the Coca-Cola, they used the Egos and Coca-Cola and both Egos and Coca-Cola were able to capitalize on that season two and beyond. But really season one, there was no brand support. And I think that's what's so interesting is, you know, there is the ability to, for producers to use any brands they want, as long as it's intended usage, um, which you could say for Egos, she ate frozen waffles, so probably not intended usage. But <laughs> you're likely not, as a creator, going to get sued for doing those types of things. Um, and so brands, like that's a really amazing opportunity for both of those brands to capitalize on this incredible series that nobody really thought was going to be a hit um, and seeing what it's done. And, and those brands, in my opinion, were really lucky. Absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I actually worked on the Coke account for a bit and we extended that also we did like social amplification with the Stranger Things cast. And I think when it, when it's written into kind of like the story and shows up seamlessly, it's much easier to kind of process it also when you're not even seeing it on the, on the TV screen and you're seeing it on social too. 
Absolutely. There's so many great ways to bring it off screen and, and enhance it. I think Igos also did a really great job. You guys with Coca-Cola did a great job. Um, that show was just so special or is so special and what they've done. We also did the KFC integration in season two. Yeah. And it was scripted. It was we just provided the um, you know, retro packaging or period packaging for that moment, but it was scripted finger licking good. Like how lucky can you get to be a <laughs> brand that gets that moment yeah i mean we've come like such a long way with it is there still a a sensible challenge in seamless integration it seems like one of those things that should feel easy um but we all know that it isn't what is like still the looming challenge of making product placement work Yeah, I think it kind of lives on both the brand side and the content creator side. I think Hollywood, while it's very old, um, I'll sit down with producers all the time and ask what their experience has been with product placement. And it's either been really bad or they haven't done it or it's something that's been a positive experience for them. But a majority of it has been really bad because a brand will come in and say, well, I'm bringing you one producer. They said, I'm bringing you $5 million. You have to do what I say. And the producer said, no, I would rather create my content the way that I want to and not use your $5 million than have you force fit something that I know my viewer is not going to be happy with. It won't be authentic to my storytelling. So it's been a hurdle on both sides. One, educating or re-educating the creator community that this can be a positive experience and that we believe in authenticity. And if it doesn't make sense for your storyline, then we don't want to do it either because it's in the best interest of the viewer and that's who matters the most. Um, And then on the brand side, a lot of brands are restructuring their, their media budgets to find new avenues and new ways to reach viewers, especially when when Netflix did not offer advertising, when a bunch of the streamers didn't offer advertising, this was a, a new avenue that people were going down and brands wanted to treat it like a 30 second spot. And you just can't do that. This is not that's this is not the moment. Let the creator tell the story for you through their voices, because the viewer is going to be happier with that experience. I think that there is it's really interesting to kind of see how brands meet creators at the table and in the ways that they potentially don't. I had the opportunity to talk to director and creator uh, Mike Diva last year because he worked on um, the on Doja Cat's music video for Get Into It Yeah, And there's a lot of product placement in that, but it all weaves into the natural storytelling. And he was talking about sometimes at the 11th hour, there's another one that comes in and it's like, we got to find a way to make this work. And there could be a huge challenge in that because, you know, if you have a, a certain vision, it can directly conflict with that. And I think in talking to him, he kind of like, he was trying to really articulate how, you know, that in itself can pose a challenge, but there's also like a necessary thing, right? Cause you got to make the money. You got to be able to pay for all of this cool stuff you get to do. But one um, example of a brand real or brands really meeting creators where they are. Um, if anyone is on TikTok, they're um, one of my favorite, um, creators is Austin Cho. And he does a lot of product partnerships that naturally weave into his comedy. And you can tell that he believes in these brands. Um, He does like a lot for like skincare and beauty. And it like just naturally weaves into his 
uh, work to the point where you're like, you're like midway through and you're like, oh, this is an ad. Even though like you definitely see like the hashtag there. He tells you up front it is. But if you're just sort of scrolling through TikTok and you don't necessarily see that caption right away, it feels very authentic. And you can tell that that's a moment where the brand or the agency behind that piece of creative is saying, hey, you're here you dictate and tell us what story you want to tell and we will just slide in where we fit in. And it works. Um, so I really enjoy seeing kind of like that relationship and, and how uh, the different ways that can manifest. Um, what I know that, you know, obviously now we're talking a lot about creator economy. What's going to be key, um, do you think, for these brands that are going to be working more and more with creators as we kind of figure out product placement? Yeah, I think actually when you talk about relationships, that's such a key element to it. Um, Jordan Peele is a great example of somebody that we've worked with for so long on series before and Bloomhouse on series or films that never really went in anywhere, um, but we still supported that content. And then you know all of these films started really um, developing and getting a lot of a lot of great exposure um, and we're really successful and he's continued to remain a great partner to Microsoft specifically because they supported him so early on in his career. And it's that's hard to see because you should look at this as a scaled opportunity. There are real results that come out of product placement. But I, I think that, you know, for us, it is what we like to call the cyborg approach. There is a lot of data and technology that goes into how you work with creators and, and how you approach this space. There's a lot of systems and processes, but it's also the human connection of it all. It is Hollywood in and of itself is still a very small community. Um, and, you know, the, the next great producer will probably be a line producer on a show you're working on now. So making sure that they kind of get that exposure to the brand that you're you're good part partner to work with, that you're trying to find those those ancillary opportunities to support the content outside of the actual product placement piece. I think that that's just the human nature of things to me um, completely relates to the idea of successful product placement is that relationships are still very important. And that's how, how great work is delivered. So Erin, would you say that also applies, you know, what you just said about um, the creator mindset, would you say that also applies to the brand mindset? And I ask this because on agency side, there, at least like a few years ago, there was always hesitation um, from brands or our clients, you know, on buying into product placement, um, just because the main question was, what is this going to do for us? You know, is this more of an awareness play? Is this going to drive sales? Is this worth the investment? Um, and that was really like the main barrier that would be between saying yes to a brand integration. So would you say that's also applies to brands just looking more at like the quality, the qualitative data than quantitative? Uh, I think it's kind of a mixed bag. And I would say, so I've been doing this for, this is my 19th year, um, working, actually working for Ben. And I would say that early on in my career, um, it was very much about the relationship building. And that's still very, very important for brands is to build that relationship and, and to build those qualitative moments that turn into great on-screen exposures. But when I took over as the chief product placement officer for Ben, I really wanted to validate 
the work that I was so passionate about. Um, this is my my life. This is what I've put my heart and soul into for 19 years. I want to have agencies and brands say, this is doing something for me. So over the last three years, we've actually really invested in that space, not only in how is this changing the perception of my brand. So from an awareness perspective, what is it doing to create some sort of brand lift around awareness, around purchase intent, around around just general love for the brand. But we've actually also partnered with a data partner called 605 to understand the true attribution of an exposed audience to our integration versus an unexposed audience to our integration. We've secured the data sets to be integrated into media mix models for brands that use media mix modeling. And actually the output has been incredible where we're actually on par for for a smaller for Cheerios specifically we we're delivering the same case totals as their linear spend and their digital spend so we're we've really invested in this space and are continuing to do that right now we're working on a cultural impact score um, to understand you know a lot of brands are suffering especially during recession and pandemic times really focused on true, just only attribution, direct marketing um, approach to their marketing. And they've lost a lot of that brand love. They've lost that sort of connection to their buyer. And so there is that cultural impact. How can we reconnect with the buyer, but also drive sales? And so we are doing a lot of that work so that brands can both see the value of the awareness and being part of a cultural piece, but also see the real results. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Okay, so I have a a big question here, and it's probably kind of a hefty one. Uh, We've all seen examples of really, really great um, product placement and we've all seen really, really curious <laughs> places, <laughs> which I, I have one that I'll probably talk about later. But for you, where do you draw a hard line when it comes to um, just making that placement work? Is there 
a such thing as too much or, hey, this doesn't work? I think there is such thing as too much. Um, But I also believe that there can be fun tonality to something that's too much if the creator is driving that decision. If the creator Mm. is saying, let's, what is it? Um, Wayne's World, right? Wayne's World is a great example of like, let's poke fun at the product placement. Let's bring these brands on board and have a little fun with it. So if the creator is driving that over the top piece, then I'm fully on board. But the way where we truly draw the line, and this is where brands um, have struggled in the past, but I think we're getting to a really good place with brands and really embracing this is let the creator tell the story. Let's brief them on what you're, you are capable of. Like, what is what makes your brand so special? What brings this, um, what would empower this storyline and help drive it further? And then let the creator tell that story. Because then, likely, it's not going to be over the top. And in most cases, it's going to be something that's authentically woven into the storyline. And we're all happy with it. I always talk about... Mm-hmm. There's something that a brand can do because we all live. I mean, I'm drinking my Diet Coke right now, product <laughs> placement. Um, but we all live and breathe with brands. So it'd be weird to not have brands in our storytelling. So use that mm-hmm. to drive the story forward. I think if a woman is drinking whiskey, she's badass because I can't drink whiskey. And so I know I'm not badass. Mm-hmm. But it, to me, that's like how I view that. And it pushes the storyline a lot faster. And a writer doesn't have to do the heavy lifting for that. Right. I it's so funny you mentioned that because I have been watching I just finished binging the morning show season two and I am like I can't wait to drink whiskey again because it just like I don't know even know what brands it is, but the Jameson. way that they're pouring it. Yeah, like anything. And it could be the nine months of pregnancy I have <laughs> under me right now. But you know, like but it, that's it was so noticeable the way that they were doing it. Um, I have a, a kind of a technical question for you, just because I come from content production side too, where we had to be on set. Um, do you ever have to be on set for some of these shoots and everything? So how important is it for that label to be facing out towards the camera? Like, is this something, you know, is this something that's died down a little? Because if that label was not facing the camera on our footage, we were in for it. So like, what is it like that? Yeah. Is it that technical still? Or is it now more about the story? It's so much more about the story. Um, And even when we are working, because we're not doing branded content, we're, we're again, enhancing a Mm storyline. So if I'm a, if I'm a real life person, my hand might be covering the label. There might be things that would just be, if I was holding it like that, like if I was holding a can with the logo completely facing out, only my fingertips on it, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel authentic. So we have, a very long history in this space and there are very important people to be a part of all of this. So the producers are who we generally work with um, to make a deal happen. But the prop master is equally as important because that prop master is going to make sure that we have the right product on set because, you know, logos change, new SKUs are made, there might be some sort of holiday SKU or whatever that might be. That prop master is going to make sure that the right product is there and the character or actor is holding it 
correctly and using that product correctly. We've worked with um, vacuums for years and making sure that people are vacuuming correctly and it's not getting jammed ah. up or things like that. That was That's what the prop master does. And those relationships are so valuable because it also scales us from needing to be on set for every single thing. Yeah, that makes sense. I think a follow up episode off of this, Shannon, should be what it takes to be a prop master because you have to learn, you have to know how to use a vacuum and how to hold like a soda bottle or something. Like, I would just be so curious to see what a prop master's resume looks like. Uh, you should meet Josh Meltzer. He was the prop master on Dexter and have him tell you stories about creating the knife that Dexter used because it had, he had to specially create a knife that was retractable but didn't look retractable. Like, wow. the Stories that any prop master will tell you is, are just incredible. Oh, yeah. They're easily one of the most deeply yeah. interesting people yep. in any production because they have to come up with some really, really um, ridiculous <laughs> solutions that end up being like, oh, this is actually super yeah. important. <laughs> like, I'm so glad you you found a way to make a combustible blow yes. pick. <laughs> um, so, so, I... I um, have a question that I feel like I have an answer to, but I am not the expert here. So I'm going to ask the expert. Are there still instances of brands or storytellers getting this concept that you um, were just talking about, about like really understanding that the story kind of drives what happens with the product and how we present it? Do you feel like there are still um, veterans that are, or people that you perceive to be veterans getting this wrong. You don't have to name names, unless you want to be spicy, but you don't have to name names. But give us the tea. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there is no doubt about it that there's still room for error and still massive areas of improvement. Um, I think a lot of the veterans are like on the content side, the creator side, either the veterans don't want to do it at all, or they've been part of the big like Michael Bay type productions that have been doing, you know, big partnership promotional um, placements for a lot of years. And I think brands, um, the big brands might be used to the content creation side and their 30 second spot and a very, very curated message. You spend years planning and creating your persona and really identifying this is exactly who I am and this is exactly how I communicate myself as a brand. And if you try to do that in content, you will fail. Yep. You have to let the creator tell that story and you have to believe in suspended reality. Um, we can talk about my favorite placement of all time later, but su suspended reality is so key to some of the most successful placements that you've ever seen. But a lot of brands are hesitant of that. I'm really curious to speak to certain um, productions and be like, what happened here? <laughs> um, specifically, like I, I have not watched the show in a few seasons, but I was an ardent, ardent fan of The Flash um, and then kind of dipped out once um, Carlos Valdez um, dipped out. Shout out to Carlos Valdez. I still very much want to talk to you and I love you very much. <laughs> but um, they've had some really interesting moments of product placement that just... Uh. 
like the one time like barry got an alexa and it's like but you have gideon you don't need this alexa why would you turn to <laughs> this alexa for something that gideon could easily tell you and then there was one where they had to have like a they clearly had to have like a car and forgive me if i get the car from wrong i've been furiously searching this and i can't find the specific one, but i feel like it was a prius and like he's chasing the the bad guy that's run off in this car and he's like I think I can outrun a Prius. And then he doesn't. And it makes no sense because you are the fastest man on the planet. <laughs> it was. Like, we've, oh, we've driven very, behind very a Prius curious. driver before. I love my yeah, Prius like, drivers. Thank you for saving the planet. Yeah, it's like, I just want to know what happened here. But yeah, there are um, some instances of like really great product placement too. And I mean, we can kind of like already hit that. What would be like, your favorite moment of product placement of all time? So my favorite, um, because this is one of the first that I ever worked on in my career, was Zombieland and Hostess, uh, Twinkies and Snowballs. I don't know if anyone's seen Zombieland, um, but That's a good one. scripted throughout that Tallahassee's favorite snack was a Twinkie. And everywhere they went... There was no Twinkies. It was all snowballs were there. I mean, I bought, I was able to secure hundreds and hundreds of snowballs for this set. I wrapped a big truck into it, turned it from a little Debbie truck into a hostess truck. And at the very end of the movie, the hostess truck opens and Twinkies just pour out. And it's this (laughs) magical experience. And this is that suspended reality piece and kind of um, the brand at the time was going through bankruptcy. And so they were really hesitant to look like they were, you know, actively doing anything because they had to be conservative. They didn't have to pay for any of it other than the product. And we wrapped the truck, which was not expensive. But really what was important was kind of allowing the script to do what it needed to do, you know. There was a moment where they were sucking the um, cream filling out like it was bone marrow and just kind of having fun with it. And it's one of the most successful integrations that we've seen. We were able to be at the premiere, um, had hostess everywhere, all of those things. And to me, that was really special because it took a brand who was relatively conservative and they had a lot of fun with it. And it was really fun to Mm -hmm. watch. That's so great. And how can you not love like a beautiful shot of just Twinkies, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. Um, Shannon, what about you? Like, what's your favorite product placement moment? I consistently feel like Dan Harmon is really good at sort of handling the obvious product placement moment, especially like with, you know, Rick and Morty, we see that a lot where they just acknowledge, hey, this is an ad and we've got to do the thing and we're going to make it super fun. And um, for those who watched Community, the way that they integrated Subway <laughs> to be this like premier sandwich yes. shop on <laughs> on campus <laughs> so good and it was the center of so much ridiculous conflict and it was incredible how he was able to just take this thing where it's like I don't know like I think other creators in that same position or like that have as much um years under their belt as he does would have probably balked at the Mm -hmm. idea Mm -hmm. of like having to do this thing and it seems like he really embraces it um even if like you're dealing with a character like rick who like is above everything 
in that moment, you really believe. He's like, we got to sell these sandwiches, Morty. Oh, look at this, these shoes. These shoes are really cool. We got to do the thing, Morty. And then just like makes a whole bunch of sense. And there's just so much energy behind all of it. And I just am always um, in awe of how he's able to, uh, he and obviously the people that he works with, the agencies that he works with, they're able to sort of make that work yeah. for their fans, which are already, that's a very tough, skeptical fan base to please and they they find a way every time so those those are definitely my favorites the antithesis of what's happening at <laughs> <laughs> my other favorite show i love that and you're so right like the rick and morty audience that's that's a tough crowd so to be able to do it right really takes like a lot of thought and skill yeah and it's like you're dealing with these characters um pretty consistently that are too smart for their own good where like something like this wouldn't necessarily work on them. But if you pick, make them a part of the joke or you make them the driver of that joke, it's easily, easily sellable. And uh, it made me like want a Subway sandwich for the first time in like a smooth decade. <laughs> so it it was just really, really well done. Luz, what about you? Um, so one of, I think one of my favorites, I'm going to have to say Harold and Kumar go to White Castle because, guys, that is a whole movie of Classic. a commercial. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's done so well that you don't even think about it. Like, if I didn't think about trying a White Castle burger before that movie, I definitely did after that movie. Like, it's just and now and when I see it out, you know, when I'm past, driving by when you can't help but think of the movie. So I think that one is so in your face, but done really well. <laughs> and think about how special that is. That movie came out 15 years ago and right. you still relate it to Harold and Kumar. Yes. Yeah. Right. It was, there was a lot going on when the show, I could probably do a whole episode of why Harold and Kumar is actually very, very important. <laughs> it is a very, very important slice of cinema and it was going to be the most ridiculous truth I've ever told, but it is true. And yeah, that having that product placement baked into a premise that you understood and that you trusted um, was really key. Very frustrating as a Floridian because we do not have White oh. Castle. We have we have Crystal. Still, still great. <laughs> still serves the same purpose. But you really wanted to learn more about white castle because of that film so that's a really, really yeah good i would have loved to see the sales after that movie <laughs> the first one <laughs> um but yeah i think um i think this is a great note to end on uh so two things for our listeners first let us know if you want a harold and kumar themed episode and just have shannon break it down they do <laughs> Okay. They do. Yeah, they do. They do. Okay. <laughs> they told me. They it's told coming me. Up. <laughs> so we'll have it in the works. And another thing is Erin, our guest today, wrote a really great columnist network piece on Adweek uh, titled How the Right Kind of Product Placement Can Elevate Your Brand Message. Um, it's really like a nice wrap up of today as well. So I encourage you guys all to read it. And Erin, thank you so much for joining us. What a great conversation. Thank you guys. This was so Thanks, much Aaron. fun. You are both fabulous. So I appreciate it. <laughs> Oh, yay. We'll definitely yes, have you back. You. Those, are the, those are the magic words. Come back. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Have a good one. We'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by me, Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Ahrens and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGivney at Boutwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. 
Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.